on today's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. Nobody is coming to save you. You have to step up. There is no adult. There is no government that is going to save you. You have to figure this out for yourself. You have to get yourself healthier. The hashtag sunlight was banned from Instagram last summer. And Dr. Fauci was taking zinc and C and D himself, but not telling anyone else to do it. The UK gave out millions of doses of vitamin D, but then stopped. So it's like, we can't rely on the government to give us money in our paychecks. We can't rely on the government to take care of us um, because that's essentially when you get into like socialism or communism, which a lot of people just don't really want. A lot of people do. It does work for some countries, but it has a tendency to be a slippery slope into something that at least America generally doesn't want. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. I am your host, Courtney Swan. Today's episode is really important to me. It is a culmination of all of my thoughts from this last year and a half, plus all the research to back it up. I brought Dr. Brad Campbell on to discuss this, and we have put together all the research for everything that we discussed in this episode in the show notes. So if you would like to see any of the research we, re- we reference with your very own eyes, please make sure to go to the links in the show notes. I have a lot of questions. And before I begin, I just politely ask you to hear me out and to listen to them all before coming at me online, please remember we're all humans and we are all experiencing this in different ways. And I think the internet and the disconnect that we have with being online and listening to podcasts is that we forget that these are real human beings. And so I just want to bring the humanity back into this conversation. Remember that when we have the urge to lash out at others. This is usually a projection of our fears or emotions that we are feeling about something. So firstly, what I really want to know is why am I so nervous to ask these questions right now? Why is it considered an act of heroism or quote unquote dangerous to even ask these questions when we see some inconsistencies around this narrative right now? When I raise some questions on my Instagram, for example, I will get messages from people saying, thank you so much for having the courage to bring this up. Why are we so scared to even ask questions? We should all be asking ourselves that question right now. It's hard to tell who's telling the truth and who's not right now. The research has shown that the news has been overwhelmingly negative and sensationalized. If it bleeds, it leads. We live in a clickbait world. We're leading with our fear brains right now, and we're not thinking logically about things. Our fear doesn't allow us to hear all of the information. Of course, there is viable arguments on every side of this conversation, but our fear isn't allowing us to be open to the possibility of new and different information. And the irony in all of this is that I personally have found that as I've started asking questions and I've started digging, my fear has been soothed. And as you'll hear in this episode, we should be more concerned about the way that this is being mishandled than the actual virus itself. Of course, I'm not downplaying this virus, so please do not put words in my mouth. I'm not saying it isn't real or something to be taken seriously, but we have viable treatments. They're just not being openly talked about. Why? Any dialogue that opposes this main narrative is immediately shut down. There were people warning about vaccine passports a year ago, for example. They were called crazy, they were censored, they were deplatformed. 
and now here we are. It's happening. Doesn't that make you feel like this narrative is being controlled? The same people who were screaming, my body, my choice, the last few years are now screaming, everyone needs to get a medical procedure done, while completely disregarding the real concerns about the effect that this medical procedure could have on someone else's body, possibly for the rest of their life. Before I go any further, do not place me in some political box, because none of this should be political. My views on this subject have nothing to do with the political party that I voted for. We need to stop politicizing our health. I know that we don't want to acknowledge this, but there are real risks and real injuries happening to real people by these measures that we're trying to mandate right now. I know some of these personally in my own life. I almost don't even want to say this, but I read somewhere that out of the entire U.S. population that is fully vaccinated, only 9% of those people are black. And now we're putting mandates in place saying that people who are unvaccinated aren't going to be able to go to restaurants and bars. This is segregation. A certain portion of the population is going to be segregated. After we just spent this last year fighting for equality and fighting human for, for human rights, we're now going into full-blown segregation, and there are people that are actually cheering this on. No matter what side you're on, this should make you think. And just so that I'm clear about where I stand, I want everyone to be able to do whatever they think is best for their body. It's that simple. I am not anti-anything except for someone losing their right to bodily autonomy. My body, my choice. And calling people anti-vax is a way of gaslighting. We put people in a box so that we don't have to hear discourse, so that we don't have to be uncomfortable, so we just elicit shame in the person for having a differing opinion than us. We are gaslighting people out of their own experience and their real concerns. Gaslighting is denying someone their experience, plain and simple. I want you to think about this for a second. If we weren't talking about vaccines and we were talking about anything else medically related, we would all agree. If I said, hey, look, you know, I'm a little hesitant about taking this drug. It's a new drug on the market and it doesn't have any long-term data. You would agree with me or at least I, I, I would think that you would agree with me, and you would say, yeah, you know what, that sounds really normal to be hesitant, and it sounds like it could be risky. I want you to know, you listening right now, that if you feel hesitant or scared or you have questions, that's normal. That's normal. I don't know how anyone could say that that's not normal, because if it wasn't about vaccines, it would be normal to be hesitant about a brand new drug. It sure does make you think, huh, that there's something greater going on in this realm. The irony going on in this conversation right now is that we're only using this word anti when it comes to vaccines. When someone wants to know the safety of their car before they buy it, do we call them an anti-driver or an anti-car person? What about someone that wants to read the ingredients in the food before they buy it? Are we saying that they're an anti-fooder? Or someone that's asking about adverse effects on prescription pills, are we saying that they are anti-medicine? No. So then why are we saying that someone just wants to have research safety, ingredients, and side effects of vaccines that now all of a sudden they're anti-vaxxers? This doesn't make sense. 
I also want to note that comparing this vaccine to any other vaccine of the past is negligible because we've never released a vaccine like this before. Besides the Johnson & Johnson one, which is the only traditional style vaccine that we have to fight COVID. The other two are mRNA technology or the other ones. Am I saying I think that they're bad and they're going to kill us? No. All I'm saying is we don't have long-term data on what this new technology will do to our bodies. That's it. That sounds fairly reasonable, right? And look, just to be clear, I'm not telling anyone that they shouldn't get this. I'm also not saying that you should. I am literally saying that everyone should be left to be able to make this own decision for their body. That's all I'm saying. I am not trying to steer anyone one direction or the other. And we aren't even talking about the other treatments available for COVID in a public way. Now that we know that you can still get it and you can still spread it, even if you've already gotten the shot, and we also know now that the vax carry the same viral load as someone who is unvaccinated, everyone is susceptible and basically at the same rate, no matter if you've gotten it or not. So why aren't we focusing on the treatments available and why aren't we focused on saving people? People are still dying and getting really sick even when they're vaccinated. But yet there's no conversation in the media about other viable treatments. Did you know that there is a treatment that has been and is still being used around the world right now? This drug is an antiparasitic that has been safely used in humans for over 40 years. It has science to back up its effectiveness in fighting COVID, and many are getting prescribed when they have COVID and they are surviving. I have friends right now whose doctors have prescribed this drug to them to take as a prophylactic. In other words, meaning they are taking it preventatively to prevent COVID. And there are studies and science to back up this drug. Also, did you know that in order for the FDA to give the vaccine companies emergency use authorization approval, that's right, emergency use authorization, this thing has still not been officially approved yet by the FDA. It's still an emergency use authorization. There had to be no other viable treatments for COVID recognized. Also, it's important to note that ivermectin, this drug that I was talking about, lost its patent, so no one drug company stands to make money from it. And also, it costs like $3 to get. Let that sink in. And also, in this conversation about mandates, why are we not talking about natural immunity at all? You'll hear in this episode, and then you can also go and look through the show notes and see that there are tons of studies coming out right now showing that people that have had COVID already, that have already been infected with the virus naturally, have the antibodies to fight it off. And even if those antibodies taper after six months, which newsflash that also happens with the vaccine as now we're seeing with the need for boosters. But we see now that with people that have been naturally infected that they most likely have T-cell immunity, which means that our, your body is going to be programmed and to know how to fight it off if you get exposed to it again or if you happen to get COVID again. But it's also, if you look at the percentages, it's actually pretty rare for someone to get COVID a second time. It happens. I'm not denying that it does not happen. So do not put words in my mouth, but it's rare. So at the very least, when we're talking about these mandates, why are we not including people that have natural immunity that have already been exposed? And we have to wonder if this was really about health, 
where is the national initiative to get people healthy? We know the healthier we are, the healthier our immune systems are. Most of us learned that in high school biology, or at least I hope most of us did. When 77% of people in the ICUs with a bad case of COVID are obese, and that percentage goes up higher when you factor in comorbidities like diabetes and cardiovascular disease, you have to ask, why haven't we tried to get our nation healthier? The World Obesity Federation report found that 88% of deaths due to COVID in the first year of the pandemic were in countries where more than half of the population is classified as overweight. Why haven't we had any public official even acknowledge this or speak out about the importance of diet, exercise, and sleep? <sighs> Am I being insensitive or shaming by pointing this out? No. Loss of life is always sad. It's devastating. But we are lying to people about the seriousness of this. You don't lie to people that you love and care about. You tell them the truth no matter how hard it is to hear. The truth is loving. We need to be truthful about what's going on here so that we can reduce the loss of life. This information could save lives if it was given to the masses. By denying people the truth, we are denying them the opportunity to get healthier so that they can survive this. We should be fighting this on all fronts right now. Did you know that in 2020, COVID wasn't even the leading cause of death in the United States? You know what was? Cardiovascular disease was the number one cause of death, something completely driven by diet and lifestyle. And cancer was the second cause. COVID was the third. But if you just paid attention to the numbers and the mainstream media and all the attention it got this last year, I would be willing to bet that a lot of you think that it was number one. And there are debates that, it is, that it's even lower. It's possibly the fourth because of the inconsistencies in death reporting that you'll hear about in this episode. Can you imagine if a year ago we had said, okay, guys, we need to get healthy. Let's stop eating processed foods, get vitamin D in the form of sunlight every day. Vitamin D has a powerful effect on the immune function. Let's get exercise, get at least seven to eight hours of sleep, drop the sugar. What if we had handed out vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, and quercetin? These are all nutraceuticals that have shown properties to help fight COVID. There is science to back this up. What if we had given all of those to every person? I mean, these, this costs pennies on the dollar, especially compared to, the what, to what we pay in healthcare costs every year. And it doesn't take as long as everyone thinks to change your health. People see their blood markers on lab work change within weeks, sometimes after making diet and lifestyle changes. We've had a year and a half to figure this out. So let's just start being honest here. We have to admit that there's a lot of inconsistencies going on right now. Let's just tell the truth about what we're seeing right now. You can't walk into a restaurant without wearing your mask, but then the second you sit down, you can take it off. For a time, you couldn't eat inside unless if the inside was outside. Then it was totally fine. There's no COVID in there. COVID doesn't live in an enclosed space as long as it's a new enclosed space that's built outside. This rationality doesn't make sense. Are you paying attention? This does not make sense. And then there's everyone regurgitating, I believe in science. But I think we're forgetting or we're not acknowledging that science is ever evolving. That's what science does. 
We do the best we can with the knowledge we have at the time. And then as more science comes out, we change our approach. We, re we reroute. I think it's really important to remember when all of this started, we didn't know much. We were doing the best that we could with the information that we had. But now we know a lot more from this last year and a half. Why are we not making changes? We've seen countries and states go against the mainstream and do it successfully. Why are we not acknowledging some of these places where death and hospitalizations aren't skyrocketing? <sighs> Look, I am by no means claiming that I know what's best. I'm simply pointing out why are we not acknowledging these things? That why are we not acknowledging that there are ways to do this differently? And why aren't we acknowledging the devastating impact this has had on people the last year and a half? People have lost their homes, their jobs, their businesses, their livelihoods. The suicide rate and drug overdose rates have skyrocketed. The economy has taken a massive hit. Why are we barely talking about this? I also have to wonder, why hasn't there been any public discourse? Why have we only allowed a few scientists and doctors' voices to be heard and for some reason, they all agree. You know, in real science, there's discourse, conversation, and often this helps to come to the truth and viable solutions together. But now we've seen that anyone who even questions or brings up a different opinion from the mainstream narrative, they're immediately publicly shamed, deplatformed off social media and censored. They're ridiculed. Their entire careers, backgrounds are looked into and then blasted in unkind light for all the world to see. Some of them are in fear of having their licenses revoked. We call these people quacks. And these are people who have studied at highly revered institutions, Stanford, Harvard, or people who were once execs at the large corporations that stand to gain or lose a lot, depending on what is said about them. I want you to really think about that. Because basically what we're saying is, listen to the science. Oh, but, but not that science. In the past, we, were, we, were, we would always take into consideration people that came from Harvard and Stanford. But now we're, we're cherry picking. We're saying, oh, well, we'll pick this one person from Harvard, but, but not this other person. Don't you find that interesting? We should allow other opinions. Because also, it's not like there's one or two doctors that are having differing opinions in the mainstream narrative. And if you don't know that, you're not paying attention right now. Because there's a lot of people, a lot of doctors, a lot of experts trying to speak out right now, but they're being silenced. Why are we so scared of this discourse? I mean, I have an idea. The truth can withstand any questioning of it. Usually when things are hidden, it's because there is a concern that the truth will be so easy to see that there is no denying it. I will say, look to those who are being silenced. Look to those who have everything to lose and nothing to gain with the information that they are sharing right now. Follow the profit trail. I also have to wonder... Why are we being forced so heavily into hating each other and we're left to fight amongst ourselves right now? Doesn't it kind of feel like a distraction? Our own president is going on TV and making people mad at a certain portion of our population for not doing what is being demanded of them right now. 
You know, he or another high-ranked public official could end this tomorrow. They could have done this six months ago, instilled hope in us, shared with us other options like getting healthier and treatments like ivermectin that's been used safely in humans for over 40 years and that has a lot of science to back up its effectiveness with COVID. Why are we not trying every single possible treatment and solution right now? Why are we being fed that there is only one way out of this? That's not how any of this works. That's not how life works. Can you think of any instance where there is only one viable solution for a task at hand? I can't. But yet, our president and public officials, they continue to feed into the division. Doesn't that concern you? It really concerns me. Our own neighbors are being made into the enemy. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be filled with such hate for other human beings. It doesn't feel good. We should be a united front, all working on this together. We should be working together on a solution. Don't we want everyone to live and make it through this together? Well, newsflash, the way to become a united front is not by gaslighting people for their beliefs that are different than yours. And we sure as hell don't become united by coercing people into doing things with their body that they don't want to do. That is not the way that we come together. Also, if you are being told that you will have your life back once you do this one thing, that's not freedom, that's control. You can have your freedom back, but not until you do this one thing, and then you can. It'll never stop. There will always be a carrot dangling. Okay, so now you, now you just have to do this, this one more thing. Then we can go back to normal. You just have to get this one more shot. Then you can have your life back. Then we'll go back to normal. That's control. That's not freedom. That's someone else dictating what you do in order to get an outcome that they want. I have an internal conflict here. A lot of this doesn't make sense. What's happening right now? You have to follow the money. We allow these large corporations to lie and skew data. We know this. We have known this for years. Look at big tobacco. This is all out in the open. This is not a secret. We allow these large corporations to lie and skew the data. They make zillions of dollars doing it. And then they get caught messing with the data. We just slap a large fine on them and then just continue to let them doing the same thing they were doing before. This is nothing new. All of these large, big pharmaceutical companies have been fined billions of dollars. They have been caught lying and skewing data. And we, we just let them go back doing the same thing, thing that they were doing before without any sort of repercussion other than, than a, a money hit. But let's be real. These corporations make so much money that that money doesn't really mean much to them. And then now... This time we're going to trust them again? How does this make sense? Please, someone help me understand this. We can't ignore that. And we also can't ignore that there's a lot of money that gets invested into media. So the information that we get from media is biased. I don't know how anyone could deny that. So now we're back to where we started with this conversation. A lot of us are confused on what and who to trust right now. And then you add in the censoring 
and this is where it gets really scary. We are censoring highly trained physicians, virologists, immunologists, scientists, and you have to wonder who doesn't want the information that these people are trying to get across and why? Whether it's a corporation, the government, I don't know. I don't have the answers, but I want to know. And I'm going to say it again. The truth can withstand any questioning of it. So let natural discourse occur so that we can find the truth. I'm going to continue to ask questions and come at this with curiosity. I'm not going to allow some negativity being thrown at me to discourage me from being in pursuit of the truth. It's hard to go up against popular mainstream groupthink because there is a fear of being ostracized from the tribe. This is a biological response. This was a real fear for our ancestors because if you were kicked out from the tribe, you didn't have access to food or protection. There's a real fear of being ostracized from society. And there's a risk with that right now and going against this mainstream narrative. But I'm going to keep asking questions because I want to know what the truth is. And I urge you to continue to ask these questions in light of all of the inconsistencies going on, despite what side, quote unquote, you're on. Guys, we're all humans. We should all be on the same side. Why are we being pitted against each other? Asking questions is how we uncover the truth. That rant was much longer than I expected it to be, but like I said in the beginning, I have a lot of questions about the last year and a half, and I'm assuming you do too. So I'm so excited about this interview with Dr. Brad Campbell. Like I said in the beginning, we have provided a ton of resources in the show notes. Please utilize those. Go and click on the links and look at the science, look at the research that we are talking about with your very own eyes. Because this is really important right now, guys. So this is a two-part podcast episode series with Dr. Brad Campbell. If you're enjoying this episode, make sure you go and listen to part two. With that, let's get to Brad. I want to take a second to talk about what I do personally to take care of my immune system. One of those things is I drink green juice every single day. I used to use a juicer. I would buy all the vegetables and juice like crazy. It made such a mess in my kitchen and I was always having to clean the juicer. It was a lot. It was kind of a mission. So I gave that up and I found this company called Organifi, which I'm truly obsessed with. Everything is organic. There's only one gram of sugar in their green juice and it has amazing things like ashwagandha, moringa, matcha green tea, chlorella, spirulina, turmeric, red beet, wheatgrass, lemon, and coconut water. And my favorite thing about this company is that they are glyphosate residue-free. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, hopefully you know now the dangers of glyphosate. That is otherwise known as Roundup. And what it is is it's an herbicide that is sprayed on non-organic food. But unfortunately, it is now being uh, traces are now showing up in organic food as well, thanks to farm runoff. And it's really important that we keep glyphosate out of our bodies because it is linked to cancer. Their green juice is my favorite. They also have something called red juice, which is used more for energy support, but it doesn't have any caffeine. It's just natural energy from cordyceps, rhodiola, Siberian ginseng, reishi mushroom, red beet, pomegranate, acai, raspberry, strawberry, blueberry, cranberry, and lemon. And again, it's all organic and glyphosate-free. 
And lastly, my other favorite product of theirs is something called Gold, and it's made for rest and relaxation, so you can drink it before bed. I will say, though, I often find myself putting this in my coffee in the morning because it gives me um, a nice like relaxation and kind of helps mitigate the effects of the coffee. So I still have energy, but then I don't get the like jittery stress from it. And it also has immunity properties in it thanks to the reishi mushroom, turkey tail mushroom, and um, things like turmeric and ginger in there. So and it tastes like vanilla. It's so good in your coffee. And I am excited to announce that just in time for fall, how are we getting to fall already? They have a limited edition gold pumpkin spice. So it tastes just like a pumpkin spice latte when you put it in your coffee. It is so good. And you guys are going to get first access to purchase this gold pumpkin spice. I would jump on this because this stuff sells out very, very quickly. They actually ran out of gold for a while and I couldn't even get my hands on it and I was very bummed. So make sure that you use the link in my show notes or if you want to spell it out, it's Organifi.com slash realfoodology. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash R-E-A-L-F-O-O-D-O-L-O-G-Y. Oh, and I almost forgot to mention, if you buy two canisters of the gold pumpkin spice, you receive a free collectible mug while supplies last. Make sure also when you go to Organifi to always use code REALFOODOLOGY and it's going to save you 20%. I hope you guys enjoy. Brad, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so excited to dive into all of this with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know we've been talking for a while and it's really great to kind of bring some of this information to your fans and followers and the people. Yeah. I mean, you've been such a strong voice in all of this, and I really love the way that you show up with such love and compassion, but then you just have the straight facts. And I think your delivery is really important and really needed right now in this time. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. Trying to bring like truth and humor at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. We really need the humor in it right now. So let's just start diving into this. Um, First and foremost, how how are we here? Like, how why is this such a mess? Like, why are people struggling so much with COVID? As far as, like, let's dive into how many people in the U.S. are metabolically sound and why so many people are being affected and getting sick right now. Yeah, I would probably say less than 10% are metabolically sound, which is why we're in such a big place. And honestly, it's probably 1%, 2 3%, if we're really being honest. Like, we know about 80% are overweight or obese. We know another about 20% are cardiovascularly not sound, not very healthy. So that's already to 90% just of those two things combined. So there's really, when people say like someone was healthy and they got very sick, that's really not always true because people can seem healthy. They can be walking about, going to their normal job, doing their daily lives. They can be working out, training for a marathon, but they actually have underlying disease that's invisible And just because someone looks healthy or their performance is really good doesn't mean they're actually super healthy. Yeah, that's a great point. I think um, the way that we define health in this country is very, very skewed. Many people don't know really truly what it means to be healthy and to consume healthy food. And it's not not anyone's fault. Like I, I like to bring this up a lot because I think people, when they hear that, they take it personally. But Um, we make it very confusing and very, very hard to eat healthy in this country. Definitely. Everyone's eating out. It's often cheaper to get like a McChicken, you know, than it is to get a $10 something from Whole Foods or $20 something from Whole Paycheck Whole Foods, right? (laughs) So it it can be very tricky. 
Yeah. So, okay, so, I mean, let's see, where do I want to start with this? Okay, so let's talk about the PCR test, because this has been something that everyone, you know, in the last year and a half, this has really been the gauge of where where we're at with COVID. But recently, I don't know if many people know this, this was actually just recalled. And can you talk about that? Like, just dive into why it was recalled and what was actually happening? Yeah, so the CDC recalled their version of the PCR test because they said there was a much better replacement. So it wasn't really necessarily like they were saying like the test was in error, but which is what a lot of people meant it to be. But really what happened was they repl- they took it off the market as of December. They're saying in, as far as December 31st, 2021, we're taking it off the market and we're going to replace it with a test and recommend everybody else do the same to differentiate between um, can we say the C word? Yeah. On here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the germ 19. Um, <laughs> germ between COVID 19. and the flu. That's when I have to like label it so I don't get deleted again. So, um, yeah, the censorship is crazy. But, anyways, like the CDC. We need to talk about that to, too. Sorry, but yeah. Yeah, this, the CDC is recommending to test people to differentiate between the flu and COVID 19 because a lot of people have said, like, well, where did the flu go? Why were there tens and hundreds of millions of cases of the flu in the United States just disappeared overnight. And that could happen for another reason if we really want to talk about it. But basically, the PCR tests have been shown to be very accurate and inaccurate depending on what lab and what test it is. Many tests, um, there's a lot of money to be made, obviously, off of all these testings and the home kits that are now at like CVS and Walgreens by Abbott Labs. Like There's a lot of money in testing, especially if you're going to be testing people daily or weekly everybody across the country or the world, it's a lot of money to be made. So there's been, all, every diagnostic laboratory has been trying to get a piece of the pie. And mm-hmm. for better or worse, there's been really good tests and really bad tests. And PCR tests were never even meant to truly diagnose an active infection. They were meant to more just find evidence of a virus, which does not mean that that is what is making you sick. That's the biggest point to make is that the PCR test tells you if it's present, but it does not tell you if that's what's causing the illness, which is only really made by a doctor or by other better forms of testing that could pick up a COVID-19 diagnosis. See, this is really interesting and really important to note because so many people were getting false positives and then having to quarantine for 14 days when actually they were showing, and this is, this explains why they were showing no symptoms um, and probably weren't actually sick. I also read too that uh, and this went under the radar as well. I feel like mainstream media didn't pick this up at all, but they changed the um, the life cycle. Uh, I'm trying to think of how to explain this, but the way that they were reading the life cycle, they were giving it like a much larger amount of cycles than what they actually needed yeah. in order to see if people were sick with COVID, right? Yeah, it's the reproductive reproduction cycle or the cycle threshold. Yeah. Basically, they take that small amount of RNA and DNA and they reproduce it or... They have a number of number of reproduction cycles where they like double it. So it just keeps doubling, 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 doubling. And you get an exponential growth depending on how many times they grow it or how many times they multiply and double it until it's enough DNA or RNA to basically pick that up on, in diagnostic equipment. And so the correct, what they deem to be correct number of cycles is about 28 to 32, maybe 35 cycles. But every time you increase by just one, you double the amount of the viral material. So you're much Mm -hmm. more likely to test positive the larger that cycle threshold, the CT value becomes. 
And most of the labs were actually doing 37 to 42 cycle thresholds, which means there were there would be tons of false positives. Someone could not have COVID and still test positive for COVID and then have to quarantine or stop their wedding or their plans or their life for two weeks. Damn. So it really made it very difficult when you had labs doing 28 cycles and labs doing 42 cycles to know what was the true accuracy of the test. God, and I mean, I just wonder too, after just finding out this recently that they were lumping COVID and flu, how many people were diagnosed with COVID when they actually just had the flu? would love to know that. Right. We will never know because you can't go back in time, but probably quite a few. I mean, there are some people... Yeah. Sorry, there are some people who say that um, the analogy is like you have a bully in a classroom and flu is the biggest bully that we had before. And if you throw in COVID-19 as a bigger, badder, older bully, the other bully sometimes shuts up and goes in the corner where like the new bully, bully beats up the old one and he runs out of the room. Um, so that's why the flu could have disappeared is because there's another infection that's kind of more contagious, mm. more prevalent, more important for our bodies because viruses help our bodies update our DNA like a software upgrade. So it could be that like that's the respiratory infection that's the biggest bully in the room, which is why flu drops down. But there also likely was still that bully still present in the classroom that was still causing some problems, but it just didn't seem as big to everybody because COVID-19 was there at the same time. Um, Or COVID-19 was much more contagious and spreading around that way. Because when you do catch COVID-19 or you do catch the flu, you also get defense against almost all other respiratory illnesses. So they found people with common colds, coronaviruses, Mm -hmm. and flu infections recently still had more passive protection, some natural protection against COVID-19. Interesting. You know, my favorite thing around all this that people kept saying was the flu was gone because everyone was social distancing and wearing masks. But then you were also hearing, but COVID is spreading because no one is social distancing or wearing masks. <laughs> right. Like, it's like both yeah. can't be true. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, oh, there's so much inconsistency in everything going on right now. So, okay. So I want to talk about treatments because this really, this like really irks me. I watched a doctor recently give a presentation to, um, in uh, the in what was this doctor? Anyways, I'll look it up later and we'll put it in the show notes of the doctor's name. But basically, what he was saying is that we now like we're just pushing this vaccine so hard instead of focusing on other treatments that we have available. So like someone gets sick with COVID and then they really just are like they don't really give you any sort of treatment plan whatsoever. It's like well, you should have gotten the vaccine if you didn't get it. Let's talk about that. And why are they suppressing that? And why didn't we have this push and this plan, this treatment plan all along? It's kind of just like, oh, well, you have COVID, like, good luck. And then if you end up in the hospital, then we'll start from there. But oftentimes, from what I've read, if you don't get it in the first, like, if you don't, like, nip it in the bud in the first, like, six days, that's when you go over the point where it's, like, almost a point of no return. Right. Um, That's a great question. I think a lot of it was maybe financially based or doctors who were not allowed to treat outside of their scope of practice or what their associations deemed medically appropriate at the time. So if you were in a hospital, doctors are basically forced to follow protocol or lose their job. So that's maybe, I don't know how many, maybe 80, 90% of all medical doctors in our country were not allowed to experiment with new drugs, different drugs, vitamins, herbs, any of that for fear of losing their license or losing their job and not being able to feed their kids, just like everyone else was scared. So doctors were very scared. 
Um, I've talked to many of them, friends, family, colleagues who are still scared to speak out, still scared to do this. Um, one of my best friends, new best friends, um, is in threat of losing her license as well currently because of the same very issue. So like, mm. it's a big deal. And for these doctors, many of them are willing to risk losing their license because they know what's on the line here. Like they know yeah. the loss of freedom. They know the loss of rights. They know that people are essentially losing a good chunk of their life. Either they're actually dying or they're losing their life for now a year and a half, maybe three, five years, who knows how long. So I think doctors were scared. They weren't allowed to disobey their system or their supervisor's commands. But there were doctors um, like Dr. Brownstein, who actually was told by his state board to kind of like tone it down in Michigan because he wrote a book on this. He published his treatment protocol that he developed critically thinking, using good research, using natural therapeutics and IV vitamin C and all kinds of really helpful drugs that were um, shown to be clinically effective. And he was getting amazing results, published his studies, and then was told to like tone it down or basically lose his license in Michigan. So there's a lot of these doctors who were doing this, but I think for whatever reason, the state boards did not want it to get out, or it might have been a financial reason, but for whatever reason, there are other options. Even the monoclonal antibodies that most people know of, which is from somebody who had COVID that recovered, they take those antibodies from their blood and give it to someone who's newly sick from COVID-19, shown to be very effective, very similar to a COVID-19 vaccine that basically increases the antibodies, but it's a much safer method of helping people. It's more yeah. time-tested, it's more proven, we have better data on it. It was almost just as effective as the vaccines, but it's like, why is that not being promoted? I think it's because it's maybe, there's less money to be made, it's a little more complicated logistically and complicated um, on a global scale as well. But it's like, those are treatment options that were being wasted. We had all of these doses of monoclonal antibody therapy just got thrown out because doctors weren't allowed to use them or they weren't educating their patients on when the appropriate time to use them is, like you said, usually in the first six, seven days. Yeah. Well, and I know um, in the case of ivermectin and hydrochloroquine, those drugs have been around for so long that they've lost their patents. So no major drug company stands to make a lot of money from it because anyone can just make, can, you know, produce it and sell it for pennies on the dollar, which is very frustrating. And I do know this too, that um, in order for the vaccine to get emergency use authorization, there could not be any other viable treatments that we knew of. And so I also believe this is why all of these other treatments were being suppressed and, and why they were being censored. And I mean, I listened to a podcast recently with this uh, doctor who has been treating his patients for a year and a half now with ivermectin. And, you know, this medicine, like we said, has been around for over 40 years. It's been safely used for a really long time. And when he was starting to talk about all of his findings and how he was actually seeing this in his practice and in the hospital, he was helping patients get over it. He was posting things on YouTube and they completely deleted him. They like deplatformed him off YouTube. So he, the information couldn't even get out. And this is where that censorship comes in. <laughs> that is where that comes in. And unfortunately, like big tech, the media, the government, the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, they all have they're all kind of like in one big stew of financial mesh goo with each other. Like there's heads of each groups that fund each other. Like some of the pharmaceutical companies fund part of the FDA or like a leader of a pharmaceutical company will retire and then go to the CDC or a leader of the NIH will retire and go to a pharmaceutical company. So they're all kind of like not in cahoots with each other, but there's a lot of close ties. And I think they kind of protect each other. They support each other. They fund each other. 
and they have a tendency to kind of promote their own stuff, which is what everyone does in business. And they're trying to, I think most of them are trying to help people, but these yeah. are the solutions that they believe in. These are solutions that they've been, they've been studying for decades. They've been researching, trying to help humanity. And so they're trying to promote that. But if they go and promote something else, it's a conflict of interest for their organization or their business. And it's not, I tell people like, it's not that these companies are necessarily set up poorly or wrong or that there's bad leaders. But if you have a leader that chooses some sort of ethic over profit or a value over profit, they get kicked off their executive boards because Mm. those companies are for-profit businesses. They're set up that way. That's how they're actually like their bylaws are based. Like we need to do whatever we can in this quarter or this year to make profit for our investors. And if you don't do that, if you choose to sacrifice profit for the benefit of humanity or to do something more safely or to slow down the profit, then you're going to get kicked off the board and you'll just be replaced by somebody else. So their mm-hmm. hands are kind of tied in a way. When I talk, I've talked to these executives, they're sort of like, we want to help. This might not be the right decision. We don't know, but our hands are tied. And if we leave someone else, better or worse, we'll just step right in. I mean, this is, you just hit the nail on the head. We have a for-profit healthcare system. Correct. And so when we face issues like this, um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it serves the companies and not the health of the people, which is also why we're in this mess. I mean, what we should have done from the very beginning was encourage people to go outside and get sunlight every day, make sure that you get exercise, reduce processed foods and sugar, and let's hand out vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, and quercetin. It would literally, it's, I mean, cents. Like, it would yep. cost us nothing to give that to our population, and we would be so much better off right now. This is what's so infuriating about all of this is from the very, very beginning, because this is what I've studied for the last, like, 15 years, is how to take care of yourself, how to protect your immune system, how to stay healthy. And for months, I feel like I was just waiting. I was like, okay, they're, they're going to they're gonna start announcing, like, this is what you need to do to protect yourself. This is how you boost your immune system. This is how you stay healthy. And look, it, it doesn't mean that there's a guarantee. It doesn't mean like if you do all these things that you're not going to get COVID and you're not going to get sick. Sometimes that just happens. That's what happens in life. But if we had set up our population to become more resilient to it, we would not be in the place that we're in right now with this. Correct. Yeah. I think the main point is that nobody is coming to save you. You have to step up. There is no adult. There is no government that is going to save you. You have to figure this out for yourself. You have to get yourself healthier. The hashtag sunlight was banned from Instagram last summer. And Dr. Fauci was taking zinc and C and D himself, but not telling anyone else to do it. The UK gave out millions of doses of vitamin D, but then stopped. So it's like, we can't rely on their government to give us money in our paychecks. We can't rely on the government to take care of us. Um, because that's essentially when you get into like socialism or communism, which a lot of people just don't really want. A lot of people do. It does work for some countries, but it has a tendency to be a slippery slope into something that at least America generally doesn't want. And it's sort of like if even in those type of civilizations or those type of governments, you still need to take care of yourself and you still need to exercise. You still need to sleep and eat well and rest and drink water and go take care of yourself and just learn to live a healthy life. Yeah. Well, and if we expect a for-profit healthcare system to have our best interests at heart, okay, that's not going to work. Um, so yeah, I mean, like you said, we need to take uh, we need to take the initiative 
for our health, unfortunately. And I feel like a lot of people don't want to do that or don't even know. Um, I think a lot of people don't feel like they have the power in their hands. What if I told you that you could address sleep, performance, energy, your vitals, focus, beauty, overall balance in your health and your body, digestion, immunity, and your emotional well-being all in one? Well, there actually is a way to do that. And there's a way to target specifically your body's needs and what is happening in your body. If you listen to this podcast, hopefully by now you are well-versed with honed vitamins. They used to be called Paragon. They are now honed. They specifically tailor your vitamins to your body based on what is happening in your body and your body alone. So if you're dealing with fatigue, you can get to the root cause of that, figure out what is causing that. Maybe you have low levels of vitamin B. Uh, maybe you have some sort of metal toxicity going on. Whatever it is, you're not going to be able to address that just by buying a multivitamin off the grocery store shelf. You're going to actually need to get to the root of it, figure out what's going on in your body, and then tailor it specifically with the nutrients that your body needs. This is why I love Honed so much. They specifically tailor this to you and your needs. And if you want to save a little bit of money off the hair analysis test, you can use code REALFOOD15 at livehoned.com. That's L-I-V-E-H-O-N-E-D.com. It's, but it ends up being your responsibility at the end of the day. It's like, that really stinks that you have to take care of yourself. And if you yeah. get sick, you, if you're quarantined in a hotel or a camp somewhere in Canada or in America, like you have to take care of yourself, but that's just how it is. And so what you do is you need to pull on your big boy panties you need to like step up and learn how to get healthier. And the information is there. It's free. The principles are very straightforward and obvious. You work out, you gain muscle mass, you build yourself into a healthy weight, a healthy mental state. You can use our website that has all these free resources and guides and where to go, what tests to run, what doctors to go to. You start to say like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to let the healthcare system profit off of my ignorance. I'm going to take this into my own hands, become the hero of my own journey, take on that responsibility, step up and start to get healthier because that's where true freedom is coming in the coming years. Yes. And it's so empowering. It's so empowering. When you start taking those steps to better your health and you see the results and you feel better and you look better, I mean, to me, there's nothing that's more empowering than taking your health into your own hands. No, it's the ultimate freedom. Yes, and it's the ultimate act of self-love. Indeed, yeah. And when you get down to it, health, I talk about this with these doctors. I took over a practice from a doctor who was practicing for 30 years in holistic medicine. He was like the guru, like the doctor house of Chicago who would figure all these problems out no one else could figure out. And basically when it gets down to it, the essence of almost every chronic health condition is self-love. Mm. Yeah. Right? It's like, why are you not taking care of yourself enough? Why are you not doing the self-care? Let's start to do this. Like, allow yourself just to love yourself a little bit more to start to take those action steps that become habits, the baby steps that then habit stack into a healthier version of yourself because you're worth it. You deserve it. You were put on this earth for a reason. Your parents could have gone and had, you know, one more glass of wine and five minutes later would have been a different sperm and a different egg. But like it was you, the one in a hundred trillion chance you got to be a human. You could have been a rock or a leaf or a mosquito, but you got to be a human at that moment. So since you're here, you might as well be healthy, make the most of it and have the most vitality you can to serve whatever purpose you feel called to. Yeah, absolutely. And the better shape you're in, the more resilient you're going to be. Because newsflash, like COVID isn't the first thing that we're going to face in our life here. It, was, it wasn't the first and it's definitely not the last. 
You know, we, we live with viruses and bacteria all around us, and, and it's been that way since the dawn of time. You know, it yeah. comes down to our, our immune system. So I want to talk about this Delta variant because it has everyone's panties in a bunch right now. And if you actually look at the science here, even though it is more transmissible, as with most viruses, it is less virulent because viruses want to survive. They, they don't want to kill their host because then they also go down. So can we talk about the Delta variant and wh why people don't need to be so worried about this? They don't need to be as worried because it is, as you said, more contagious and less deadly, which is great. Yeah. And it does seem to spike quickly and then go away, which is also hopeful. In the countries that have had their spikes, it seems to last for like a month or two or three, and then it kind of is gone, which is great. Part of that is probably because a lot of people already have had um, before even vaccines came out for COVID, they had a natural immunity that gives you a good amount of protection. So um, I think people don't need to worry as much. If you are still at high risk, like for the elderly, we can try to protect them if yeah. possible. But there are still, I was reading an article this morning, there were like hundreds of nursing homes in one state where there were Delta outbreaks in the fully vaccinated nursing homes. So if anything, we're starting to be, people are scared or angry or frustrated that they've been singly or doubly vaccinated and still catching the Delta variant, um, which is tough because people unfortunately were misled into believing that the vaccines would stop them from catching COVID, which it does help a little, but it decreases that protection diminishes very rapidly in just a few months after being doubly vaccinated or fully vaccinated. So it seems like it's nearly unavoidable, but if you are super high risk, you can take the steps we're talking about. You can empower yourself a little bit and you can still fully distance yourself even more if you would like at that time because yeah. it might only be two or three months so like you can voluntarily distance yourself stay home have other people bring you food you can do all the things that we did the first time if you're in that high risk group however the unfortunate part is for those people most of humanity like even florida and texas and all like other states like south dakota they're not willing to join in yeah. which means that those tactics in that we're working in Australia or New Zealand are not going to work in America. They may work in Canada, but it's like we're basically just going to have to build a natural herd immunity with or without a vaccine. Like people are going to get it. They're going to build some protection, whether they've had vaccines or not. And the good news is it's not as deadly. Um, it will kill some people, um, but it should be less than the first time. And if you've had COVID once, you should be able to recover a second time. And um, there is hope that this will be less intense than the first round. Yeah, so I've been reading, okay, there's a couple things that I want to address in what you said. First of all, um, I want to highlight this again because I think people really don't understand this. Just because you're vaccinated does not mean that you can't get it. It also doesn't mean that you can't spread it. I actually just watched uh, a Fauci talk about this very recently that uh, the studies are emerging now that people who are vaccinated carry the same amount of viral load that people do who are unvaccinated. So there, there's this misconception going around right now that, that the unvaxxed are the ones that are spreading all of this. But in, <laughs> I mean, I'm just, oh God, it makes me so mad because this is so not true because the vaccinated are spreading it just as much and we now have the studies to prove it. So that being said, people who are vaccinated can still get COVID as we are seeing right now, which is, uh, yeah, which is what's happening. Another thing that I read, which I want to ask you about, because I, I don't I don't know the, as much about this, but I've been reading that this variant emerged 
after we started vaccinating. And there is some conversation that people think that this variant actually is a result of over-vaccinating. Is that true? Um, The real answer, I think, is that we don't know. Okay. Um, Because there, when I went to look up some new research on this, like it was like fact check, fact check, fact check. There's no way that the vaccines cause the new variant, but that's not true. Um, The fact checkers are wrong. The fact checkers don't know the truth. They're often paid by pharmaceutical companies or they have investments in those companies. So there's that. But the real answer, the real science is that we have no idea because mutations happen for a variety of reasons. Mutations either happen from natural infections, and as the virus replicates, you get abnormal viral replication on occasion. Like, once in a while, you get a strange viral mutation. It's kind of like um, humans who have abnormal cells. So, like, every day you're building millions and billions of cells, and some of those cells are abnormal, and your body just shuts them down. Apoptosis kills the cell, and Mm. it doesn't grow into something abnormal like a mole or a freckle or a cancer cell that then your body usually shuts down as well. So you have these abnormal cellular growths that your body normally just takes care of and gets rid of. Same thing with viruses. As they reproduce a whole bunch, as they're infecting somebody, they can create mutations that usually are slightly tweaked from the original virus, but they can also create variations in what's called leaky vaccines, which Mm -hmm. I put some um, research articles on the... um, document use we were working on to give people research articles and resources. Those will be in the show notes. Yeah. It's been known to happen with viruses and vaccines in chickens. It's been known to happen in humans. There's clear evidence for what's called leaky vaccines. You can go look up on PubMed. And basically what that means is that if the vaccine is not perfectly suited to the current mutation or strain, it can leak through, like there can be infections like we're seeing now in these breakthrough cases of people who are vaccinated, still catching COVID and spreading COVID just as much as an unvaccinated person. They can leak through and you can get new mutations or new variants that pop out of vaccinated people. And the reason why that could happen is because as those antibodies you have from the vaccine start to fight off some of those virus particles, as the viruses are not fully killed, and they start to, they actually will replicate and they can get those mutations similar to a natural infection. But if the mutation is enough of a change that it evades the antibodies created by the vaccine, then that virus can infect that person and cause a breakthrough case. Mm. They're saying that that's possibly where the Delta came from in India, because India vaccinated a bunch of the people while their clinical trials were still going on. They vaccinated millions of people before their trials were even done out of an abundance of caution. And that's where the Delta strain came from. So I think potentially that could have happened. But to really trace it back would be pretty much impossible. So I really don't know if it's coming from natural infections as the virus grows and mutates or if it's coming from breakthrough cases where the virus mutates and avoids the vaccine. So... We honest answer is we don't know for sure, but either is likely. And um, the some scientists I've listened to who are PhDs in immunology and virology have said that the spike protein change in Delta was so great that they believe it was caused from the vaccines. Mm. But again, you can't really prove that. Yeah, which is so ironic because the narrative right now is that the unvaxxed are the ones that are pushing this, you know. And I just want to remind everyone listening that. 
there's still so much that we don't know. And there, there's a lot of information on both sides. So we can't just be coming at it from this one side and attacking this because we don't actually know. And there's a lot of science to show that it could be coming from the vaccines. Um, okay, so I want to dive into this a little bit because we've been seeing the numbers ever since they they recalled the PCR test and they were saying in, in this last year that they've, they haven't been differentiating between flu and COVID. Well, now there's a lot of stuff coming out now too about people dying with COVID versus dying from COVID. I want to talk about that because I've been hearing a lot. I, I saw this woman um, recently say that if someone dies with COVID, even if they were, let's say, um, actually, I have a personal story about this. I have a friend um, who had a, a very close family friend, and their son died a couple months ago. Um, he died of an overdose, very sadly, but there was no question. Like, that's what happened. And when they tried to get his body from the hospital, they wouldn't release it because they put on his death certificate that he died from COVID. And what had happened is that he had uh, gotten a positive COVID test, and then they were saying that it was a COVID death when it was very clearly a drug death. And this is not just hearsay. This has been proven that this is happening a lot. Why are we doing this? I think it's because the hospitals get more reimbursement, financial reimbursement, from insurance companies when they're listing a COVID death or when they put someone on a ventilator. They're getting more money um, as like a kickback basically for those death certificates or they're getting more funding. So yeah. I think that's possibly why it's happened. It's happened to patients of mine. It's um, where their family members or someone they knew died in a motorcycle crash. But then when they got to the hospital, they tested their, for COVID, they tested positive, And so they labeled that as the cause of death. <sighs> so part of you could say is like, well, they're just trying to really track COVID and make sure they don't miss anybody who has COVID if you're giving them the benefit of the doubt. And part of the what the fact checker misinformation is, like fact checking the fact checkers should be a website. <laughs> but, you know, because yeah. I think when Trump was president, he came out and said like 90, only 6% or only 4% of all COVID deaths were from just COVID. So people mistook that and thought that like only 6% of the data was accurate. Like the numbers were only 6% of what they were truly were. And... Um, that's not quite true because what that data really showed was that like 96% of people had comorbidities, mm. which doesn't mean that COVID wasn't what killed them. But you're right. There are a lot of people who test positive for COVID that are then a COVID case and listed as a cause of death. You also don't have to actually test positive for COVID to be listed as a COVID cause of death. If you mm. had something symptom-wise that was similar, like any type of pneumonia or other flu, you could also be listed as a COVID cause of death as well. So I actually put some of those original articles kind of like that are accurate and inaccurate um, in the research notes. Okay. Awesome. So people uh, can look that up. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because, you know, this last year in 2020, I don't think many people actually know this, but COVID was the third leading cause of death in the U.S. The first was cardiovascular disease and the second was cancer. The third cause of death with COVID. I think this is so important for people to hear. And I also believe because we were putting so many COVID deaths on these certificates that I don't even know if it was the third, but that's just my personal my opinion. I would love to know actually how many people died from COVID specifically, but we'll never know. 
We won't really know. No. The yeah. best research um, article that I saw estimated that it was maybe about 20, maybe 30%, but about 20-ish percent um, overestimated. Yeah. But that's still, I think it was like 300,000 excess deaths total. So I believe that, you know, there's a lot of people who are, as you said, one of the things, biggest things that was bothering you was this dichotomy of um, before when you're like, this is what irks me more than anything else. What irks me more than anything else is basically the people who say that it's not real. It's like a scamdemic. No yes. one's dying. But then they get mad at Fauci in China for having a lab created virus. Like you can't say that the virus exists and leaked out of the lab, but also that it's not real and no one's dying. So I think yes. it's important to kind of like, there's a lot of kind of gaslighting or not people who aren't able to acknowledge the suffering of yeah. people who are injured from the vaccines. There's also a lot of denial of suffering from people who had COVID itself. They'll be like, oh, but it probably wasn't bad, right? Like, oh, you had COVID, but you probably don't have long haulers. You're just tired. Or like, you know, it wasn't that bad. I was fine. Like, you can't be suffering. So there's just a lot of denial of suffering, which is not very healthy. Yeah. And I think the real reason that's happening is because we're all collectively going through this big trauma and suffering together. It's like a big existential trauma and it's a big physical trauma and a financial trauma and a mental health trauma. It's like, it's a huge collective trauma that we've been going through. And I think people are suffering so much in their own lives, they can't really acknowledge the suffering of one more group of people. And there's an amazing article by Charles Eisenstein, who's this great author and very like proactive person on saving the earth. He's talked about this for years, but he had this amazing article talking about how the vaccinated and unvaccinated are being pitted against each other by the media to make the unvaccinated as a scapegoat, which is essentially mm. what we've has been irritating you and irritating me. And it just doesn't make logical sense, doesn't make medical scientific sense. And we're trying to find an enemy. We're trying to either create China and the Wuhan lab as an enemy and we can go fight a war against them for causing all this stuff. We're trying to blame them. We're trying to blame the unvaccinated. But really, we just need to blame humanity for not respecting nature. Because that's really what this gets down to is the virus came from a disrespect to nature, whether it was coming in a lab, whether it was coming from Wuhan, which is one of the most pesticided and highly EMF polluted 5G places in the world. It's just like a, whether it's coming from the wet markets where we're not respecting animals. To me, the whole lesson is we're not respecting our external nature. We're not respecting our health and our inner nature as well. So if we just were to respect ourselves, respect nature, respect the animals in the wet markets, respect viruses, and we don't want to keep tinkering with them and messing with gain-of-function testing. If we're actually going to have more respect for our own health, our own biology, our own nature, and the external nature, none of this would have happened. And that's the only way we can really prevent future pandemics is by not making synthetic artificial lab-created vaccines or gain-of-function viruses or messing with the messing with the nature, the earth, the animals, whatever it is. We got to stop messing with nature because nature is infinitely smarter than we are. <laughs> nature will always win. I'm so glad that you brought up this point because um, you're right. I find that when, when people try to have the conversation that we're having right now, it's often uh, the response that you get is like, oh, but you're, you're disrespecting that, you know, so many lives were lost or like, what are you trying to say that this isn't real? And that that's, we're not saying any of this. We're not disregarding all of the lives that were lost this last year. In fact, I'm so in pursuit of the truth of all of this because I want to, I, I don't want us to keep going down this path where we keep having all these unnecessary lives lost. 
And that's really why I feel like it's so important that we have this conversation because we're a year and a half in and we're seeing a lot of how this was mishandled and we're seeing how we can move forward and make it better so that we can reduce the amount of lives lost. And that's desperately what I want to do um, more than anything. And so it doesn't mean that there's not respect for all the lives that were lost and everything that was mishandled. It's a tragedy what's happened. And I also, I love what you, that article you brought up, because I, I read something similarly the other day. This woman just said, look, the media right now is trying to pit vaccinated versus unvaccinated, but you have to remember that unvaccinated people are your friends. They're your family. They're your neighbors. Like, these aren't people to be hated. These are people that, for whatever reason, they are scared of it, or they've been injured in some way um, in the past by the medical system, so they don't trust it, or they believe for whatever reason that they don't need it, or maybe they have some sort of health condition like an autoimmune disorder where their doctor has said, do not take this because it could make it worse. So we have to remember that everyone's experience is so individual, and we can't just put a one-size-fits-all blanket medicine on every single human being because we are also bio-individual, that it's never going to work. And what's going to happen is it's going to result in a lot of irreparable injuries and damage on human lives as well. So, Right. And if we keep forcing people to vaccinate with mandates, with coercion, or with bonuses for their work, and then they get injured, it's just going to be even more people who don't want to get the vaccine. So it's creating more division. Like yeah. forcing people to do that is a huge problem. Um, there's tons of people, healthcare workers who are being pressured into doing it and it's just creating a bigger problem. They're getting disenfranchised or they're getting basically, they're falling out of love with their profession because they're feeling like their profession is not putting their own values and belief systems and health first, which is what it should be doing. So it's just furthering the divide. Um, and I agree. It's not that we don't acknowledge that they're suffering. It's just like, how do we help these people that need it? Um, I can tell a personal story where my grandmother um, got COVID. She's like 92. She didn't even know she had it. She was fine like a week later. Then my grandpa got COVID. He was fine. He was like sick for a couple days. He thought it was like a cold. No problem. My other grandma who's still alive, she got COVID, but it's complicated, right? It's like that she died. So she died, but it's like with or mm-hmm. from COVID. So she actually has had like 10 mini strokes in the last two years. She actually had a mini stroke driving blacked out, went over a roundabout, went down the other side of the roundabout and into a bush. And then she lost her license, obviously. But (laughs) she's been like homebound since then. That was right at the start of the pandemic. So she was stuck at home for that and for other reasons. And then she ended up being on pain meds for various reasons from the crash. Then she ended up, those Mm -hmm. like made her liver and her kidney toxic. Then she ended up getting a bladder infection. They tried to treat that with a bunch of more drugs, then it turned into a kidney fuck infection. They just added more drugs. Then she got COVID and had to go to the hospital um, because she had kind of like a pneumonia. It was basically the COVID pneumonia in her lungs that went to her brain. She recovered, but the night before they were going to let her out of the hospital, she passed away in her sleep, right? So it's oh. kind of like, did she die with COVID or from COVID? It was... It was her heart disease. It was her emphysema. It was her being a secondhand smoker, smoker where her husband used to smoke near her. It was all the other things, all of her mm-hmm. comorbidities. She had pretty much every comorbidity and diabetes that she could have had. And then it was like, it's a cumulative load. So there's never really like one germ or one thing that kills us. It's always like a multifactorial experience. And that's what I want to use that story to teach is that like, 
We need to have sympathy for the complexity of health, the complexity of one germ not being the final thing that kills you. It was a bladder infection, then a kidney infection, and then COVID. So she had more than one thing that did it. And sometimes people just die too. Like it was her time, her brain was going, she had bad dementia, and she said, you know, she was about to be put in a home, and she's like, I will die before I ever go in a home. So spiritually, thank God she was ready to go as well. Yeah. So it's one of those things that's like we need to have this ability to understand the complexity of why people choose to vaccinate or not, why people choose to take a drug, ivermectin or not. And those drugs could have actually saved her life, right? We don't really know, which is also, as you said before, it's kind of infuriating that those treatments are not being prescribed or used or at least allowed to be tried by doctors in these hospital settings. Yeah. But we just need to have a little bit more respect and appreciation for the complexity of health, nature, and our own belief systems. God, this is so important. There's two things that I want to say about that. First of all, um, just a little bit of a side note that I remembered. So, for example, with ivermectin, which is so infuriating, is that for the most part, it's proven to be really safe. There's a lot of studies. There's a lot of doctors that have been using it to treat COVID patients with great success. But because there is so much um, like suppression around it and they're, they're kind of trying to keep this treatment on the down low, uh, doctors are sometimes unable to prescribe it. Um, I had a girlfriend recently that tried to get ivermectin and had to jump through all these hoops and like all this crap just to get a medication that's been on the shelf for 40 years. Anyways, I just, I want people to hear and understand that that's happening right now because um, it's not, I, I don't think it's to protect people. I think it's to protect the money. Um, Anyways, but also another thing that you said that I think is really important that we need to discuss around COVID, and you said this so beautifully with your story with your grandmother, is that we forget that um, before going into COVID, many people, like we kind of addressed this a little bit earlier, but many people were already not metabolically healthy. And the, there's an actual percentage that came out in the last couple of months, maybe hopefully you know it, but there was, I, I mean, I was it like 88% of people in the ICU with COVID had were either obese, were diabetic, or had cardiovascular disease. There was some sort of other underlying thing. And again, I have so much sympathy for this. This is not like a shaming or anything like that. But this is just like, if we need to, if we want to get to the truth, we need to be truthful with the facts of what is going on. And and the people that were getting affected the worst with COVID had other things going on as well, for the most part, not always. But this is how health works. It's complex. Yes. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah, I don't know the exact number, but it's obviously very high. Yeah. I think it's 88%. We'll look it up and we'll put it in the show notes, but I read it pretty recently and it's, I mean, it's very high. And again, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Um, we need to redefine what healthy really means because, you know, you hear all these stories like, oh, this, um, you know, I don't, I, I want to say this very sensitively, but I also think it's really important that people hear this. Um, you know, you'll hear, hear a story and you're like, uh, you know, this 25-year-old man died. He was so healthy and see, it's affecting everyone, even if you're young and healthy. And then you come to find out that he was, you know, 350 pounds and diabetic. And, and that's really sad. And that's where our food system has failed us in our education because we are not being educated on how to truly take care of ourselves and we're not being educated on what health really, really means. I totally agree. Um, yeah, we really need to start to realize, like, 
there are elements of your health that um, you can't control. Yeah. And that are up to God or up to the universe. And there are elements of your health that you can control. So you might as well at least start to do what you can about the things you can control. And that is the end of part one of this two-part episode series with Dr. Bradley Campbell. If you're enjoying this episode, please make sure to go and listen to part two. It is up now. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, could you do me a huge favor and leave a five-star rating and a review for it? This helps me so much. It helps get this episode and this podcast into more ears, and I could not be more grateful for the support. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. If you liked this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let me know. This is a resident media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. The theme song is called Heaven by the amazing singer Georgie, spelled with a J. Love you guys so much. See you next week.